Oh, you can be seated. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Father God, we ask that you move this morning. We ask that in the midst of the stuff that we are seeing in our world right now, the confusion, the, the chaos, the sadness, we ask that you just be the thing that... Uh, that, that you be the light that we see, that you be the thing that we search for, that you be the thing that steadies us, that you be the rudder that steers us, that everything we do, it be that you are doing it through us. And that is how we begin to survive. That is how we live. It is how we do everything we need to do. Lord, we ask that you move in mighty ways and we give you permission to act through us Thank you for who you are, and thank you for your sovereignty, even in these confusing and horrible, horrible times. Lord, we pray for your love to just fall on this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, any of you guys campers? Like, camping? No? <laughs> Look, I, I know there's several of you that camp that are not raising your hands right now. This is the, this is the interactive part of church, Okay. <laughs> I, I, I kind of had uh, a strange epiphany over the past couple weeks. Uh, I went on a backpacking trip, and when you're backpacking, you basically have what you have in your backpack. There's nothing else that you get to carry with you, right? You don't. And so we got back from backpacking, and then we went on a car camping trip where we took the trailer, and I'm sitting up early in the morning, and I'm looking around going, I have everything I could possibly need right now. Like, it's so weird. Like, when I'm backpacking, I have a stove that's about this big and weighs like two and a half ounces. And that's how I cook everything. And I'm looking in our bear box. We've got like an iron skillet, an iron griddle, like all this stuff. And I'm like, this is really strange because the difference is between backpacking and camping in your trailer is the same amount of difference as camping in your trailer and living in your house. I mean, it, it just blew my mind. And I thought about the fact that how interesting it is that we even go camping. Like, I'm sure you've thought about this before. You've heard this before. Like, do you realize how much money we invest to be homeless? <laughs> like, we paid $35 a night at a campground to not have a home. When we have a perfectly good home that we could sleep in that has beds and everything. But we do this thing, and I think it's this act of unplugging. It's this act of, of trying to get back to simpler ways and trying to get back to simpler times. And so when we do it, the whole point is to make things simple. And what we do is we make it so stinking complicated. Like sometimes setting up a camper takes three, four hours. Like that's not simple. What? It's worth it. Setting up the camper is worth it. <laughs> But you have a house, Wendy. <laughs> it's already set up. You don't have to crank anything or, or, or set up beds or anything. It, it, it just blows my mind at the extent we go to to be simple, to get back to simplicity, to find that out. And I think the reason why is that we all acknowledge the fact that our lives are just riddled with distractions. Like there is so much going on Monday through Friday or Monday through Sunday or even Sunday morning and we just get bombarded with all of this stuff 
that our eyes are continuously bobbing around and we notice every little thing and it's hard to stay focused. I, this is the first year ever, I think, in my ministry where I have done a series all the way through, more than once. I mean, usually five weeks for me, that's a commitment. Trying to stick with a series for five weeks is nuts. Well, just a, two day, a couple days ago, I actually lined out our sermon series until January. Yeah! We'll see if it actually happens. But next, next week, we're starting a brand new series that I'm really excited about. It's called The Pillars of Faith. And we're going we're gonna to look at Hebrews 11 and what all that means and what it looks like to look back on the people that motivate us to get where we're going. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, come back for that. We've got, we've got a, really, a lot of really cool series coming up. Um, and, and September 22nd is going to be the best one because our, my boss will be here. So it has to be. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll be dedicating the building on that day, and, uh, and, and Steve Scott will be here. But it, it, we've got a lot of just great stuff coming up. And, and, and when I was doing that, I noticed how much when I opened up my calendar, the little red dots, they totally, I was just trying to figure out what the next Sunday date was. But then I'd see a red dot and I'd open it up. What's that? What's going on here? Oh, Oh, what's going on here? I just get distractions everywhere. And so we try to unplug. We try to get undistracted because we want to focus on God. Well, for the first time in my career, I believe I actually have a tweetable phrase. I've always, you know, there's these pastors that are just creative and smart, and they have these things, and then you read on Sunday afternoon on your Facebook feed or on your Twitter feed, and they tweet out these one-liners that their pastor gave. I've never been that smart. So... I've never really had the tweetable phrase, but today I think I have one. I'm going to tell you, settle down. I'm, I'm building here. I'm glad it's working. The anticipation is killing you. I, I think I discovered something that shapes our, our, okay, here, I paid like a lot of money for this word, so I'm going to use it, Christology, right? It's our, it's our theology about Jesus. And today's scripture focuses on this idea, this idea of window theology. Think that's funny? <laughs> window, window theology is the way that we should be living our lives in Christianity. Its, it's opposite would be mere theology. So what happens when you have window theology is you're constantly looking out. Right? We, we see things. Now the ironic thing is most churches don't have windows. And this building is even more so. This, this building is fortified. There is one window in this entire building, and it's right above a door. That's it. No windows, except for the glass doors. But this window theology, it gets you focused on what's outside of who you are. Mirror theology, when you look in a mirror, but you, don't, you know this. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? Myself. You, right? And for some of you, you should look at windows, because no one wants to... Anyway, we, we, we have this idea, though, that we get so focused on who we are that we lose track of everything because we have this mere theology. Our, our entire theology is based on what I can do or what I can get instead of what's out there and what I need to give, what, what I need to do to approach and be in the outside and do all that kind of stuff. So this idea of window theology really piqued my interest so much so that um, I just went away with what we were supposed to do today. And Jess went ahead and made the bulletins, and I just changed it. So uh, we're actually not going to be using the scripture that's on your bulletin. We're actually going to be in Luke chapter 12. Um, but it's, it's this idea that Jesus is calling us away from distractions, 
but still letting us focus on what's out there. Okay, so in the scripture today, it's Luke chapter 12. We've got this pretty common occurrence taking place. This, this guy is going to go to Jesus, which was very common. People would go to the rabbi and, and give the rabbi a problem to solve, and the rabbi would solve the problem. So what's going on here is pretty normal. And so this guy comes up to Jesus and says, hey, my brother and I, we have this inheritance. Can you tell us who gets what? It's not fair. We don't like it. Who, who's going who's gonna to get the inheritance? And so Jesus says, no, I can't. It's like this idea that Jesus is not going to get involved in their money. They're, they got their own issues. Well, just here. Chapter, uh, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Obviously a younger brother, right? Tell the older brother to divide the inheritance. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. Okay. I want to share with you something of this scripture that I've learned recently. Like recently being like 10 years. If you are living your life for an inheritance, you're doing something wrong. Because I'm going to tell you right now, those people that are supposed to leave you money, they should be spending the money on themselves. It's not yours, right? So, so why do we, 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 we have this idea and this mindset today that something is owed to us. I just read a study the other day that said that the, the, the number one thing that is separating millennials from every other generation, sorry, we're going to pick on millennials again, <laughs> is that th- there's this idea that, that someone, like it, it's, it's an obligation to come up with 20% to buy a house for the parents for the millennial. This is something they just think should happen. This is why they live in the basement. Because parents don't agree. Right? There's this, we have this huge sense of, and this is where I think it comes from. I don't think it's a negative thing. I think our entitlement comes from anxiety. I think that we have this nervousness that something is not going to work or not going to happen. And then you add that to this idea that, well, our parents have this kind of house. Why don't I have this kind of house? I should have that. But we don't, we don't ever think about the fact that, well, our parents didn't have that kind of house when they were our age. They, they worked for that. There's a, there's a lawyer in Southern California, he's Bob Goff. He's an author. He writes phenomenal books. If you haven't read his books, you should get them. And he, and he says, in, in his most recent book, he says that the thing about Bob Goff is this. And you know he's cool because he can refer to himself in third person. And it doesn't seem weird. He said, the thing about Bob Goff is this. People always want to be Bob Goff now. But nobody wants to be Bob Goff 40 years ago when Bob Goff was sitting in the reception area of a law school because he didn't get accepted, and he just went there and sat every day for a semester and a half until he wore down the dean and he got accepted into law school. Nobody wants to be that Bob Goff. They want to be the Bob Goff that is this ambassador to Uganda and freeing these kids and taking on witch doctors. That Bob Goff is cool. The Bob Goff has an office in Disneyland. This is where his law office is. It's at Tom Sawyer's Island. There's a bench, like a picnic table. He literally buys his clients a ticket to get into Disneyland to meet. Everyone wants to be that Bob Goff, but nobody wants to be the Bob Goff that was just getting rejection letter after rejection letter and having to beat down doors and having to get everywhere. So what we do is we build up this stuff and it just creates this anxiety. And then the anxiety leads to this entitlement. Why don't we have this? We should have this. It's not fair that we don't have this. Wham. 
And all of a sudden, it becomes the mantra that we live by, and we just get stuck in this idea of wanting stuff that we don't have, wanting more than our share, wanting what we never have deserved, and then it gets to the point with, how dare my parents not leave me a fortune? It's not your fortune anyway. It, 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 was, it, was, never, it was never any of these brothers' money. They, they come and they say, Jesus, my brother won't share with me. And, and I'm pretty sure Jesus wanted to spank him. But <laughs> there was probably some scribes around, so we had to just put him in timeout. So there was no like lawsuit or anything. He just says, who, who am I? What, what's your deal? I don't care. You, in fact, you two are so distracted about this money that you're coming to me the savior of the world, and asking me to be an arbiter. Do you get that? That's like going to a Supreme Court justice and saying, hey, can you argue my parking ticket for me in civil court? It's mind-blowing that you would come to Jesus, the one that's already, by this time in Luke, we've already been healed, there's been healings, there's been crazy stuff going on. And they're going to, Jesus, my brother, he's not sharing. And I really feel like you should bring the thunder down on him. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. He just says, look, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So he begins with this actual warning of the thing going on. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. I'm going to elaborate. But I'm going to do it through a story. So then he tells this parable in verse 16. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to, can you, just for a second, put yourself in the place of these two brothers, right? So they just came and they asked Jesus. Jesus says, get over yourselves, quit being greedy. And then he says, let me tell you a story. How uncomfortable is it for those two brothers? Because they're still standing there, right? And now they're, they're going to listen. Oh, good, a story. Oh, wait, is this about us? <laughs> listen, Jesus. He says, and he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many, many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have put, prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Window theology, mere theology. This is not a condemnation on money. It is not a condemnation on wealth. Jesus does not imply here at all that this man was an extortionist or that he abused his employees or anything like that. It was just, this is a story about great abundance and what do you do with it? When you live a life of mere theology like this rich fool does, you, you have this idea that everything is mine and it's here because of what I did. It, it, I, I provided this. I did it. You notice this is one of these crazy, um, it's almost a soliloquy more than anything. But there's in this very, this very small passage where Jesus tells this parable, 11 times, I, my, or mine. 11 times. Coop used to have a phrase that he would say all the time. He'd say, that some people's eyes are too close together. And he didn't mean their eyes. He meant when they talk, their eyes. I this, I, me, 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 me. Their eyes are too close together. This man's eyes are too close together. 
Everything is not just about his, what he's going to do with it, but everything is how he provided it. My land did this. There's never even an acknowledgement that possibly God had something to do with this blessing. So this is not so much a, 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 a parable about having too much money. This is a parable about being distracted by things that don't matter and not being grateful for what you've been given. So what he does is he says, I've got all this stuff. All of my barns are full. Some of us at that point would be like, I should probably start giving some of this away. Or even better, I'm going to throw a giant party. So at least that way you still get to benefit from it too, right? All my abundance, I'm going to share that somehow with somebody. But that's not what he does. He tears down his small barns so that he can build bigger barns so that he can store everything up. Now, it does, when it says that God demanded his life, that doesn't mean that God said, you know what, since you're done, I'm going to kill you. That'll show you. Uh, I need a really good way to hammer this point home. So uh, tonight, you're just going to die. What happens here is that God knows that his, this is his last day. So he says, what good does that do? You know, there's, there's something that they, uh, whenever you go through any kind of like suicide prevention training or anything like that, they, they tell you the number one thing to look for is when people start giving away possessions. When, when people start getting rid of stuff like oddly and weirdly just out of nowhere, um, it's one of those signs you need to start looking at, okay, why are you giving everything away? This past year has been a rough year in the fact that in the way that um, I've, I've journeyed with three close friends as they were passing. And ev- all three of those people just before were given everything away because they don't need it. There's something that triggers inside your mind that says, I'm not going to need this bike anymore. I should probably give it to somebody. I'm not going to need, and they start start giving everything away because something triggers in your mind that you don't need that stuff anymore. It's not bad to store things up. It's it's not bad to prepare for the future. It's not bad to do these things. We, We have a story of when God actually tells Joseph to tell Pharaoh, store up in the good years so in the bleak years you'll have plenty of food to feed your country but here's the difference when joseph told pharaoh that it was an instruction by god so there was an acknowledgement that god is the one that is in charge and sovereign rather than this man that says man i just don't have big enough barns and i have so much stuff i'm just going to tear down can, can you like what did he do did he like move the grain out tear down the barns and then build new ones and move the grain back in That just seems ridiculous to me. The whole thing is just bizarre. And so he builds these giant things to hold his abundance. The big thing here is that there's this, we we have this fancy church word called stewardship, right? We are stewards of things. We are stewards of our bodies. We're stewards of the earth. We're stewards of the money. What that means is we're managers. And so when when we have our connecting time and we receive tithes and offerings and we say things like, this is a way that we respond back to what God has given us, by giving back to him some, that's stewardship, right? We, 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 we acknowledge that God has given to us, and our response to that is to give back some of that. Stewardship. Well, stewardship has two things that kind of work together. Stewardship, it only works is if you give to God and give to neighbor. That, those, are the, those are the aspects of stewardship. And so we honestly, when, when we say this, and some people cringe, that if you can't do like 2 Corinthians 9 says and give with a joyful heart, then we would please ask you not to give. Because here's the bottom line. We are not collecting money to pay the utility bill. We we are literally collecting money 
to pay rent for someone that can't pay rent or to buy groceries for someone that can't buy groceries or to get someone through the rest of the month. This is what our offering, yes and yes, we do pay a mortgage and we do pay the light bill and we do pay these things. But that's not why we, I mean, those are such a small portion of what we do. What we want to do with our offerings is be able to give that to God and give it to neighbor. Those are the access of stewardship that we want to participate in. This guy, the reason why he gets called a fool, he doesn't get that at all. The aspects of stewardship for him is it's mine. When I look in a mirror, all I see is me. I've done this. I've worked hard. I bought this land. All this stuff is mine. That's it. It's all mine. There's no one else involved in this. Um, we get two things that stand out about this guy. The first thing is this. He cannot possibly see beyond himself. He only sees what's right in front of him. His needs. What he's going to do. Everything that happens. The mine, mine, mine. This, is, this phrase, this pronoun of mine, I, myself, all those, they're called aggressive pronouns. And I think it fits beautifully, right? Because it's this, this idea that you're grabbing from something. This is mine. It, it's uh, every, every cartoon that has a baby in it. What's the biggest laugh? Mine, 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 mine. You know, the seagulls from Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. You know, we, we, we have this idea. We all understand it, and we all call it selfish. We call it greedy, and we do it. But then we go home, and we look in our mirror and go, you know what? That's right. Mine. This stuff is mine. I can't possibly. Uh, what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a bigger storehouse because I, I don't want this stuff to go away. I've got to keep my hands on this. John Wesley was a um, preacher, a theologian. He's, he's what we've, our entire doctrine is based on his theology. And, and, and John Wesley, he had a rule in his life that um, he would save all he could and give the rest away. That was, his, that was the way he lived. So when he was in Oxford and he had an income of 30 pounds a year, he lived on 28 and gave two away. This is what he did. And then when, when he got his income increased and he had 60 pounds, 90 pounds, 120 a year, he still lived on 28 pounds and gave the rest away. Rick Warren, a pastor, even you know, a little more current in Southern California, Rick Warren wrote a book and he talks about how he does reverse tithing. Rick Warren gives 90% of his income away and lives on 10%. It's kind of a brilliant thing, and it's a brilliant concept, except for the fact that we are pitched this new idea. Here's a new idea. When you succeed, you should look more successful. So what that means is when you get a raise, you should spend it all. When 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 you sell a house, you should buy a bigger house. I, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, and, and I never really thought about it this way before, but the, this trap of buying bigger, and we have these things called starter homes, and, and, and we all do it. I mean, it's, that's the American way, right? We, we buy a starter home, and then we upgrade, we upgrade, we upgrade. But the funny thing is, is most people live in an average of 10 to 15 years in a house. And, and so by the time you're ready to sell your house and upgrade, you're now paying principal finally for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you've reset to just pay interest again. And it, but it's this idea that what we've, we've got to, you know? You look back in the 50s and the 40s, the average house was 900 square feet. Even in America, 900 square feet. You want to know why we only need one income? Because the house is only 900 square feet. But now, now you know what we need? 7,200 square feet, for crying out loud. Because my wife and I, we need some space. I drive, I drive an SUV with three rows of seating. Usually it's just me in the car. 
We, we, we just, we, we have this idea of keep reaching, keep reaching, keep reaching. And here's the thing. If you can keep reaching and stay in the means where you should be at, keep reaching. But what we do is we stretch ourselves way too thin. And then what happens is when, you, when God calls you to give, you're like, I can't. I don't, I don't have any to give. Or when, a, when your kid wants to go to camp, and this, this happened in Chico all the time. Camp season would come along. Maybe parents would be like, we can't afford camp. We can't afford that. It's like 300 bucks. I can't afford that. And I'm looking, I'm going, you just spent 1,500 bucks for your kid to go to football camp. You can afford it. You're just affording other things instead. So a lot of times it's just priorities and not so much what you have. It's what you're doing with it, distractions. So we have to figure out this balance. Because having things is not, a, it's not bad. If you can have and still be generous, which uh, this is a way, when I was preparing this, this is just selectionary gospel for, 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 this, uh, for this week. I'm preparing this going, knowing full well that if either one of the missionaries that we support were here, they would stand up and go, JJ, why are you talking to this church about this? Because like you know, when Lou came, Lou, Lou spoke at churches in Portland that were 10 times our size, 20 times our size, and they didn't even take a love offering. And she spoke at our church and left with several thousand dollars. And she just blew her mind. It absolutely blew her mind. And the same thing with the Carlstroms. When they come and they just feel, they don't just feel love from us and support from us, but we want to fund what they're doing, want to back what they're doing. And you guys are incredible with that. There is no reason. There is no way humanly possible. This is where the rich fool got it wrong. This is window theology. There is no way possible that we should have been able to raise our down payment as a church our size. Shouldn't happen. There, there should have been no way we could have done that. And so the important thing is, is that we look out the window and go, this is not just us that's doing that. There are forces beyond us. And it's because people have chosen to simplify and live within their means so that when they're called, by, not by me to give, but when they're called by God to give, they respond by giving. They respond by doing something and giving that gift. This man had no intention of ever doing that. The Romans have a proverb that says money is like seawater. The more that you drink, the thirstier you get. And so many times, like that's how we are, right? We, we, the, the, if we just have, we keep pursuing. The more money we get, the more we want, the more we need because we up our lifestyle. I, I, just, I, I think that something would be so cool if we all just stepped back and went, what if we were just simple people? Like, I, I, I have the hardest time right now when I think to myself that we are a family of two drivers right now and technically, we own four cars. You're not a driver. You need, you, you, we have two and a half drivers. We have two and a half drivers and four cars. That's bizarre. Like, why, why do I possibly need to have a Jeep? Well, I know why I need a Jeep. What? <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Why do we need a Honda Pilot? You know why? To pull the trailer. So we got a trailer, now we need a car to pull the trailer. And, and this is what we do. We just pile on, pile on, pile on. And, it, it, we just, and all of a sudden it becomes so overwhelming that we just get lost in our distractions. And we forget that one, God has blessed us with abundance. And the fact that we have abundance means, just like Abraham was called to do, you are blessed to be a blessing. And I'm not saying that if you have lots of money, you should give more starting right now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you were blessed with abundance, you should be attuned to when God calls you to give because he's not always going to. 
He may call you to give to something and not something else, and that's fine. And, and, but the, the bottom line is we need to be available to do that when God asks us to do it. We need to be able to write that check because we've left room in our lives for God to move. We need to be prepared to support a missionary, to adopt a child in Uganda, to do whatever we got to if God is moving and stirring in your heart. It's not about, hey, today I want you to start tithing more. It's not about that. What it's about is being obedient to the fact when God calls us to do things. The other thing about this guy is that he never saw beyond this world. That's a big one. He never saw beyond himself because he was always looking in a mirror. But he also never saw beyond this world. We, we pray this prayer in Matthew that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is about seeing beyond our world. We're asking for this kingdom to come onto earth, to, to be part, to mingle in, to be what we do. We are wanting the kingdom here. We're seeing beyond our world. We're doing more than our world. We're trying to get past that part. This man in the parable, he was so self-centered that he couldn't see what he considered to be his harvest, what, what he did, his barns, his own life, when really the sovereignty belonged to God. And God said, by the way, I love what you're doing with this place. But tonight, you're going to die. And none of it is going with you. None of it. What you could have done is you could have invested that into a next generation. You, you, you could have seen what it could do for people coming up. You could have, and not, not just in an inheritance. Listen, inheritance is fine. But you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather go on a trip with those people that I love. Not, not, not spend their money in their name. That, that, to me, that's ridiculous. I, I would rather enjoy it. So if this man would have just saw past this world and saw an eternity saw something bigger than himself. He could have done so much more with his abundance than just save it. There's a story of a man who goes and seeks out a wiser man. And the wise man says, uh, so um, what are you going to do for this kid? And he says, well, I guess I'm going to stay in school and get good grades. And the man says, and then? He says, well, then I'll go to college and, and major in something. And he says, and then? Well, then I'll get a job and, and uh, I'll make money. And, and then, well, and, and I'll stay at that job and get a pension. And then, well, I'll retire and uh, I'll get to have a lot of fun. And then, well, I, I, guess, I guess then I die. And then? And it's this mindset of looking beyond where we are. There is so much going on in this world that can be so distracting that we forget. We are but visitors here. We are aliens in this world. This is not our home. And we easily get bogged down. And look, it's real stuff that's distracting. It's, it's shootings that are happening all over our nation right now, this week. It's, it's easily be distracted by these things because they're real. It's a hostage crisis right down the street from Matt's house in our own town. There's, there's real things. But the bottom line is this, that we serve and worship today. I want to go to church. Why? Because I want to acknowledge that God is sovereign and in control. Even in the midst of the chaos, God is sovereign and in control. I want to be able to give that sovereignty back to him. I want to not take my circumstances and look in the mirror and say, me, 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 my circumstances. But I want to look at God and say, your sovereignty. How can I move in this? How can I be a part of this? What can I do that will last? I don't want to look just to this world because this world will pass away. It will perish. Every single thing on this earth is not permanent. And I want to focus on permanent things. 
It's why it's so, it's so hard to be in this place of building a building or remodeling a building or acquiring a building because my whole focus is on things. And I don't want it to be. I want it to be what this building represents. I want it to be something about eternity. I want it to be next level things. I don't want to get bogged down by little things. I want simplicity. The issue in this parable is not money. The issue in this parable is focus on not being distracted. Not letting things distract you. Like bigger barns. Like bigger buildings. Like weeds in the parking lot. Like a door that drives me crazy. Like fake rock (laughs) behind a fireplace. You know, just the stuff that is all around us and we just get bogged down by it and we just get so distracted that we cannot focus anymore on what's important. And what's important is acknowledging with gratitude that the abundance that we have comes from one source and that's God. And we we, we have to just be that way. The word simplicity, when you look at the Latin root of that, the plexity, the plicity part, it means to fold. Plicity means to fold. So when you look at the word duplicity, it means to fold once. So you have two folds, right? You have two halves. So duplicity means to fold. Complicity or complexity, the word plex is actually fold. Complexity means to fold many, many times. And the more complexity that we have in our lives, the more folds we have. And have you ever got, like, when you were, like, in high school? This was, um, just so you know, we didn't always have cell phones. So you had to, like, you had to, like write notes. Um, and and uh, you had to, like, write what you wanted to on the note. And then you would pass that to a friend. And then, oh, you know about notes? Well, then you know that you can't let teachers find your notes, right? You want to know why? Let's ask Megan. Megan, what do you do when you find a note? You read it. <laughs> Teacher's greatest joy in the world is reading kids' notes. So what happened? Okay, okay, you're done. Your, your, part, your part is over. It's my part again. Teachers love to grab those. So then what happened, and this was invented by girls because they're more creative than boys. They started to fold these notes in these crazy intricate finger trap things that no one could figure out how to open. And, but only the other people they were passing it to knew the combination or whatever. And you just pull one thing and they all just came unraveled. But the problem is, the more folds you have in something, the harder it is to operate. Have you ever tried to read a note with the, with the, it just creased right on a word and you've lost it? Or you folded the note yourself and the ink didn't dry? Open it up and you're like, oh. Sometimes I'm in a hurry. Like, I got to get that out, you know. The more you fold, the more complex everything gets. The more complex everything is, the harder it is to live. Simplicity means this. The Latin form means simple fold, no fold. Zero folds. So when you have this simple life, there is nothing that is in the way of reading it. There's nothing that gets in the way from you looking out and going, praise God for the blessings that have been upon me. And that's not saying... Praise God for my big house or all my bills are paid. That's saying, praise God the sun came up today. Praise God that I can stand up and walk outside. Praise God that it hasn't been 100 degrees yet this summer. (laughs) I forgot we had Phoenix people here today. (laughs) They say, praise God it didn't get 100 degrees in February this year. 
to be able to look at the simple things and just go, this is all from God. All of it. When your kids poke you in the face at 6 in the morning to wake you up, praise God. Praise, praise God that you live in a, that you're alive and get to experience this stuff. Even like on Friday night, I went to a barbecue where I said goodbye to a very good friend. He's going to move to hell, basically, Arkansas. <laughs> but I mean, it's like we got to gather together and praise God for that. Praise God that we got to say goodbye to them and send them off in a good way. It's just so good. We're sitting in a three-hour meeting with the planning, four-hour meeting, I don't know, super long, with the planning commission. But praise God that we were even before that committee. Praise God that we were the only unanimous yes vote the entire night. Praise God that they said, the commissioners said, I cannot wait to vote yes on this. Uh, uh, praise God for stuff like that, that. That we've been waiting since November and it's easy to get bogged down. But wait, stop. No, praise God. Not, not it's been since November, but praise God it's right now. And we need to be able to look out the window and go, there is so much bigger stuff going on right now than just this. Many American families are trying to, well, many families around the world are doing this thing where they're trying to recover their joy. You know what one of the most popular podcasts on Apple Podcast is? No, it's not Connected Naz. It's the minimalists. There's these two guys that are called the minimalists. And what they decided a few years ago was their life was too complicated with stuff. And it was that whole drinking the salt water and being thirsty. They kept getting promotion after promotion and they would look in their garage and this single dude had like three cars, a huge apartment, and he was alone. So he sold it all. And, and, and they, they have this podcast now that you can listen to and it's, it's mind-blowing. Do, do, do you know that the, the appeal right now is so strong for people to live in tiny houses that counties around the nation are outlawing them? Because it kills the economy. They, the system needs us to constantly upgrade. And so when we say, you know what, we're just going to live in 900 square feet, they're like, yeah, we're going to make that illegal. Do you know you cannot build a house in Carson under 900 square feet? Unless you have a special use permit. <laughs> I know who to call for that. We, but but there's, this, there's this return back to simplicity. And I think that's what we do when we go camping. It's this need to get back. It's why we hike. It's why we go outside. It's why we live here, right? So we can look at the mountains and go, man, that was a simpler time. And don't get me wrong. I want to go back to live in like pioneer times. Because yes, it was simple. But that was the hardest simple ever. I like to be able to go to the store and buy butter. I don't have to churn butter. We must not strive to see different things out the window. We must not look out the window and go, oh man, why can't things be different? What we have to do is window theology is this, not striving to see different things, but striving to see things differently. And so we are blown away by everything that's going on right now. If this man would have just had some window theology, his focus would have been out instead of in. Everything would have changed. So the question is, throughout this, can we be a church that is not focused on a building? Can we be a church that is focused on our neighborhood? Can we be a church that is focused on the streets that go around here? The people, you know, we had one letter written to the planning commission. Uh, that is it. There was no complaints. There was one letter submitted. And it was a man that lives around here. And he said, I own a house and I live in the house. And I can't think of anything better to go in that property than a church. And he went on to list two reasons why. 
fantastic. That guy we need to be going to and loving and showing him what a church does. I don't know. I have his phone number. Let's go right now. Come on. I imagine we did give him candy at our reverse trick-or-treating thing. Yeah, he probably didn't answer. My word, this is a rowdy crowd today. I'm going to close. We have got to be a church that looks outside. Even in the midst of being bogged down by everything that's going to be happening, being bogged down by the, the anticipation for our new sanctuary, being bogged down by the remodel, being bogged down by this, being bogged down by that, being bogged down by writing checks, being bogged down, we need to be a church that's not focused on this place. This place is just simply a place where we gather so that we can go. That's it. We need to be looking at our world through a window always. It'd be so easy right now for the next month or two to just have a mirror in front of our face and we just miss everything that's going on around us because we refuse to look at it. We're going to move into connecting time right now. The band's going to come back up. Jess is going to give you some uh, prompts, instructions on uh, what we have going on. You know, you know what I'm most excited about, honestly, about being back in the sanctuary? And this is a weird thing because I mocked them from the beginning of my Nazarendom to now. I am so looking forward to having altars again. Like, and that, it just, it's a weird thing. I mean, when you, when you go to college in Texas or Oklahoma and you're at a Nazarene church or just when you're at a Nazarene church there, they, their altars are like, um, it's more important than anything in the whole world. Like, I, I remember the first time I ever sat on an altar in Oklahoma and I, I thought I was going to get beat. They're like, you better go get a switch because you don't, and then like you see people stand on them and it's like, I, I just, I, I, that part of connecting time I miss. And those are the things that I want to be distracted with because that's eternal. I want to have a place where I can just fall on my face again right before God. And so connecting time has that one more element of just complete surrender. Pastor Jess is going to give us uh, just some, some ideas on how to connect right now. So we really do this.